find ourselves this evening in Mark chapter 4, and we will finish this chapter this evening. When I went to Israel, the Sea of Galilee was one of my favorite places to be because that area is where Jesus spent so much of his time uh, ministering and, and uh, doing miracles, and of course, that is where this text takes place. Remember that the desire for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... All day on the Sea of Galilee, he instructed his disciples to get into a boat... Not doing it a third time. (laughs) Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them, their desire is to both show the humanity of Jesus as well as the deity of Jesus. And this story allows us to see certainly his humanity as he gets sleepy... He he goes to sleep as well as demonstrate his power and his deity. And it's to prove that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, as Mark is introducing the gospel, says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that is what all of them are trying to uh, demonstrate. John writes the same. I write these things unto you that you might believe in the name of the Son of God. And so as we read this, and as we, as we read this tonight and look at it, uh, let us be reminded that this is the desire of Mark as he writes this. Beginning in verse number 35, he says, In the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships, and there arose a great storm of wind, And the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it? that ye have no faith. And we can often know what Jesus is trying to teach them by the questions that he asked them. And look at verse 41. When this happened, they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? What manner of man is this that even nature obeys him? And the obvious answer to their question is that there is only one who commands nature and it obeys him. There's only one who speaks to the wind and the sea and it obeys him and that is God. So if Jesus is that man who is speaking to the wind and the sea and it is obeying his command, it is another demonstration that Jesus is God. Remember what John said in the beginning of his gospel, in the beginning was the word was Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God and he was God. And then it says this, all things were made by him. Only the one that created the wind and sea can control the wind and sea. Paul later writes, writes about this in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. He's speaking of Jesus and he says, For by him, Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. A lot of times when we think of Jesus, we think of his beginning in Bethlehem, and yet we know from the New Testament and from scriptures that Jesus was in the beginning with God, yea, he was in the beginning God. He is God. He's the Son of God, and that is what they are trying 
to show as they go through the Gospels. So in, in our text, in some ways, the disciples are getting a pop quiz. How many of you enjoyed pop quizzes and tests in school? I absolutely hated them. You know, you come in and you're supposed to have read, but you weren't scheduled for a test or quiz. And, and all of a sudden the teacher says, take out a piece of paper and you know it's coming. Well, remember in the very beginning of, of Mark chapter four, what is Jesus doing? He is teaching, he is giving parables and he has spent the entire day teaching those that came to listen to him in parables. And now as they come to the end of the day, it is really a pop quiz. Remember what he had been telling them? Those that have ears to hear, let him hear. You, you better be listening. Are you listening to what I am trying to tell you? And so now as we come to this section, uh, he is giving them one last test of the day. Um, let me just give you a few things as we walk through this, as we see Jesus. You know, it doesn't matter the circumstances in life. It doesn't matter where Jesus was. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you and I, we respond differently to different things that come into our life. And I think back in, in our 25 years of marriage, and as I was studying this, I thought about certain storms that we went through in our own life. I think about when uh, Jarrett was born, and we found out that he had a liver disease. I remember when Jackson was born, and we thought that everything was great. We had no idea. And uh, when he was born, he was born with a very severe cleft lip and palate. And I was just a young father. I, I, I did not know hardly anything uh, back then about health things. I had never even seen a cleft lip. Uh, and so it, it, was, it was something that shook me. It was something that, uh, that changed me and, and in that moment brought fear and, and even moments of unbelief. But you know, as we see in this text, even though we are human and even though through different seasons of life we go through different feelings, we go through even moments of, of unbelief, we go through uh, moments of a lack of faith, we know this, that Jesus Christ is the same before the storm, he's the same in the storm, and he's the same after the storm. And so when we are with him, there is no need to fear. And so the outline really just goes along that, those lines. First of all, we see the calm before the storm. And we see this in verses 35 and verse 36. There is perhaps nothing more calming, more relaxing after a stressful day than just getting on a boat and going out on the water and enjoying the water. I remember last year, uh, it had been kind of a stressful week, and, and James and Deb Moody had called uh, Kim and I, and they had said, hey, do you guys want to run down to the lake and jump on the pontoon boat, and we'll ride across the other side, and there's a restaurant over there, and we'll, we'll eat over there, and we had nothing planned for the night, and I thought this will be nice and relaxing, so that is what we did, and man, we got on the, the, the water, and it was just like you saw the Sea of Galilee there, it was just like glass. And Deb and Kim began to talk, and James uh, began to drive, and I said, you know what, I'm just going to go up here and enjoy the wind and, and just the, the beauty of all this, and before I know it, I'm sound asleep up there, and James took a picture of me, I was trying to find that today, but uh, I'm asleep, and it's just peaceful, it, it is calm, and we go and eat, and, and uh, as soon as we come out, we could see a cloud in the distance, and sure enough, we got about halfway home and it just started hammering us. 
the lightning began, the waves began, and I was think, reading this, I began to think about that. You know, there's often a calm just before the storm. And certainly in this text, we see that there is, there is this calmness. And, and when you look in verse number 35, notice it says that same day when evening was come. And this goes all the way back to chapter 4 and verse 1, the first verse. This is all one day. Jesus has spent this day teaching. He has spent this day doing miracles. Uh, Matthew records he has spent part of this time casting out demons. And so this has been a, a very busy day. And as they come to the end of the day, Jesus ends up falling asleep in the boat. And I love this part because, again, it reveals to us and shows us the humanity of Jesus, that he took on humanity. See, when he came in Bethlehem, he had been, he had been uh, before that, but he came to this earth to take on flesh. For what reason did he do that? Well, the Bible tells us that he came to take on humanity so that he could sympathize with us, so that, he, so that uh, we could know that he understood what we were going through. And ultimately, he came to took on, take on flesh so that he could be the atonement, the sacrifice for our sins. But it's, it is something that is encouraging to our hearts to realize the humanity of Jesus and to realize that whatever, listen, whatever you're facing tonight, however you feel in the storms of life, you can take it to the master of the sea because he understands what you're going through. If you're here and you feel alone and you feel neglected, you can take it to the Lord. Jesus knows how you feel. Uh, the Bible says he came into his own and his own rejected him. They received him not. And at the end of the day, even his own disciples deserted him and they fled. So there is no experience of neglect that we might ever know that Jesus hasn't experienced. You can go to him and he understands. Or you're here today and you feel yourself to be misunderstood. You feel yourself to be slandered unjustly or to be misrepresented. You can take that to the Lord and trust me, he understands what it means to be slandered, to be misrepresented. He was abused. He was despised. He was called a glutton. He was called a wine-bibber. He was called a friend of publicans and sinners. By the way, that was a true statement. He was. They meant it derogatory towards him, but that's why he came to save sinners. He, he was not a friend of the world system. He did not love the world system, but he loved the people of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He was called so many different things that mis misrepresented the wonder and the beauty of his character and who he was. Or if you're here this evening and you're aware of the trials which come into your life as a result of the attack of, of the enemy, the attack of our flesh, the attack of the evil one, uh, thoughts from your past and accusations that come into your life and you wonder why and how, you can know that Jesus too was tempted by Satan. Forty days and forty nights in the wilderness, he goes there and he, he shows us here is how you overcome temptation. What did he do? He quoted scripture. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. You see, Jesus took on humanity that he might be able to sympathize with us and eventually make atonement for our sins. Mark reminds us it was on account of Jesus' humanity 
that he needed to sleep, but it was his deity that he could sleep in no matter the circumstance, no matter what the circumstances were. And so as they go across the Sea of Galilee, there's this convoy of boats. He had, he had taught the crowds. There were multitudes of people, but as we've said, many of them came only for the miracles. Many of them came only for the supernatural things that they could see. And when that was done, they left. There was a few that stayed. And the Bible says that this convoy of people, he invites to go across to the other side. We see the calm before the storm. And while this is fairly normal to experience calm when there is no storm, what we see next is not normal. And that is that right in the middle of this crazy storm that Jesus is still asleep. He is still calm during the storm. Look at verse 37. There arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? One thing that I think that we can clearly see from those verses is that following Jesus, listen, following Jesus doesn't insulate us from the storms of life. As a matter of fact, you can be in the very boat with Jesus and still experience the storms of life. The disciples, maybe, or some of those that were following Jesus at this time, maybe they thought, you know, as long as we're with Jesus, then we can enjoy smooth sailing. Things are always going to be great, and there will be nice weather, and we will never have trouble. And if that is what they thought, then they would have been the forerunners of, of many who today look for such guarantees on the path of faith. Some people say, hey, if you were just walking closer to Jesus, this and that would have never happened to you. Hey, if you'll follow Jesus, then you won't have to worry about anything in life and you'll have great riches and you'll, you'll never have to worry about anything in life. Listen, that is a lie from Satan himself. And may we never deceive people that that's what the Christian life is. The truth is, is that the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And even if you're in the boat with Jesus, you are going to experience some storms in life. In fact, it wasn't the disobedience of the disciples that landed them in this storm. It was their obedience because Jesus said, get in the boat and let's go to the other side. And what did they do? They got in the boat and they went to the other side. And here now they find themselves in obedience, in a boat with Jesus, in the middle of a storm. So we don't guarantee health, wealth, and prosperity in this life. Jesus never said that. In fact, he said, if any man come after me, he will take up his cross and follow me. It is a cross-bearing journey, the Christian life is. And what that means is that without warning, you may find yourself in a massive life-threatening storm while being in the will of God, while being obedient to God, you may find yourself in these storms. Now, storms on the Sea of Galilee, as you heard, they, they were nothing new these men had fished. They had been on this sea many, many times. But if you, you've been to the Sea of Galilee, you know that it's kind of like a bowl of water. There's mountains all around it and storms easily come up in that sea, which is not a saltwater body of water, but it is a huge body of water and the waves can come up six, eight feet. But understand this, that the, the storm was sent or it was allowed by a sovereign God 
to teach one last lesson for this day. And I want to assure you tonight that whatever comes into our life, whatever storms come into our life, they come through the filter of our Heavenly Father. They are filtered by God. They, they may not come directly from God. In fact, you remember much of what Job experienced was not from God. It was from Satan. But Satan had to go to God and get permission, didn't he? And so it's filtered through the hands of God. This storm was one like they had never seen before or they wouldn't have been so fearful and this is to be the lesson. What, what is it supposed to teach? We see the lesson, again, as I mentioned, by the questions that Jesus asked. Look again at verse number 40. And here's the questions. Why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? So this is a pop quiz on their faith in Jesus as God. How are you doing with your belief and your faith that Jesus is the Son of God? And Jesus wants to teach his disciples and he wants to teach you and I that he can be trusted in the most threatening of life circumstances. I don't know what you're going through tonight. I remember hearing my dad as a, a preacher many times. He would say in the Christian life, you're either going into a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, or you're going out of a storm but you will have storms in life. And I don't know where you are tonight. You might be going into a storm. You might be right in the middle of a storm and there doesn't seem like there's any human help in sight or you may be coming out of a storm. I want you to understand tonight that you can trust Jesus in the most life-threatening circumstances of life. In the middle of this massive storm, we see the calmness of Jesus even as the storm continues to rage. Now, nobody else in that boat was calm, only Jesus. Verse 38 says, they woke him up, aware of the danger, and they said unto him, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? Kind of a silly question, isn't it, to their heavenly Father, to their Master, to their Savior, to the Messiah? As I was reading that, it brought me great comfort, Brother Terry, because I've asked some pretty silly questions in my life, too. And these are the guys who ate with Jesus. These are the guys who walked with him. They ate breakfast with him. They saw firsthand his miracles. And yet they were still guilty of these unbelief moments. They were still guilty of impatience. They were still guilty of fear. You see, even the heroes of the faith have moments of fear. You remember Abraham? Abraham, uh, God tells Abraham to get up and to go. And he doesn't tell him where he's going. He just tells him to get up and go. And what does Abraham do? He gets up and goes, not knowing where he's going. But then he soon finds out that they're in a famine and that they are going to have to depend uh, upon Egypt. They're going to have to go to Egypt for food. And they realize, hey, Sarah, my wife, is a beautiful lady. And when we get there, they may want to take Sarah and do away with me. And so what's he tell Sarah to do in this moment of unbelief, in this moment of doubt? He says, lie, tell them that, I'm not, that you're not my wife, but you're my sister. Just a great act of chivalry on the part of Abraham. I mean, they may take Sarah, but they'll leave me alone. You know, even the heroes of the faith have these moments of lapses of, uh, of faith and and. And I don't know about you, but I take great comfort in that because the truth of the matter is, if we set our halo off for a moment and look at ourselves honestly in the mirror, we have those moments. 
We have those moments. So back in the story, in the fear of the disciples, remember, even though many of the apostles grew up on this sea, when they knew that they needed an an exit strategy or they were going to die, there was only one answer, and that was Jesus. See, Jesus had been teaching them that that he was God, and if he was God, then he could control the storms. They knew the Old Testament well. Perhaps they remembered Psalm 65, verse 5 through 7, by terrible things in righteousness wilt thou answer us, O God of our salvation, who art the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of them that are afar off upon the sea, which by his strength setteth fast the mountains being girded with power, which stilleth the noise of the seas, the noise of their ways, And the tumult of the people, you see, they remembered, hey, there's only one who can control the storms, and that is God. If this man is controlling the storms and the winds and the waves, then he is God. Or Psalm 107, verse 23, they that go down in the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth, God, God commandeth and raises the stormy wind which lift, lifteth, up, lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. And there's only, there's only one who can bring us out of our distresses. There's only one who can calm the storm. Verse 29, he makes the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. And in this moment, Jesus is reminding them in this pop quiz, hey, you are in the boat with God. You are not just in the boat with another man. You are in the boat with the Son of God. And even in the middle of our storms, we can have calmness if we'll put our trust and our faith in God. We don't know what all they were thinking, but we knew that they knew there was no human solution to their problem. I, I thought about that old spiritual, where could I go? Where could I go but to the Lord? Have you ever been there before? No human help in sight, the songwriter says. It's a good place for us to be, by the way. When we get to that place where all we have is God, Brother Justin, it's a good place to be because, listen, He is all that we need. And it's in these moments in the middle of the storm where there's no human help in sight and it's beyond what any man can do that we, have, that we turn to Jesus and we lean into Jesus and we trust Him with all our hearts and we don't lean into our own understanding but we acknowledge Him in all our ways and He's able to direct our paths and our steps. Aren't you thankful for that tonight? Right in the middle of the storm, the winds are... Blowing, the seas are raging, and in that moment we can have calm. I love the words to that song that we sang this morning. When I fear my faith will fail, he will hold me fast. We're in his hand. We're in his care. And and tonight, wherever you find yourself in the middle of these storms... Jesus, if Jesus, listen, if Jesus is God, you can trust him. You can trust it. 
He saw the beginning and the middle and the end of the storm before the foundations of the world. He knew He knew that Jackson was going to be born just like Jackson was going to be born. He knew it long before we did. He knew the trials. He knew the difficulties, Brother Steve, that we were going to face in this life. He knew those storms where there was no human help in sight. And listen, we can go to him. We can rest in him. Lastly, look at the calm after the storm. Verse 39, and and he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, peace be still. Just his words. Just like he said, let there be light, and there was light. Just like he said, Lazarus, get up, and Lazarus got up. All our God has to do is just speak the word. Peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. You know, they recognize, you say, how? They recognize the voice of their creator. None of the disciples could do that. But they recognized the voice of their creator. Don't ever forget this. Because Christ is all-powerful, we can trust him to give us victory over the storms that we face. It doesn't mean that the difficulties are going to be removed. It it doesn't mean that the pain is not going to be there. It doesn't mean that... Uh, that fear has been obliterated, but it is to say that because, listen, if you believe that Christ is all-powerful, if you believe that He is indeed God, then we can trust Him to give us victory over the storms that we face. Jesus stops the storm, and then He gives the lesson. How many of you have been there before? <laughs> you go through this storm... He brings you out on the other side and then he says, let me teach you this lesson. And he asks them these questions. He, he in essence tells them, guys, you didn't need to be in a panic. You didn't need to, to worry. You didn't need to fret. You didn't need to be terrified. Why such fear? Why such lack of faith? Haven't I proven to you that you can trust me? He is building their confidence in him. He brought this into their life to strengthen their faith. Listen, God brings storms into our life, or he allows storms in our life many times to strengthen our faith, to to bring us closer to him, to drive us to him. Psalm 55 and verse 22 says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting, flinging is the word. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Rest in him. Rest in his power. The Lord is communicating two things here to the disciples and to you and I. First, his deity and the expression of power. He is God. You can trust him. And he's also communicating his sympathy, his compassion, his care for his own. Do you believe that Jesus is able to deal with the storms in your life? Do you believe that? We know it, don't we? But are we practicing it? Are we allowing him to deal with them? Do you believe that Jesus is able to remove the clouds of guilt that Satan continues to bring up in your mind? 
to attack you? Do you believe that? That he can give you victory over that? I'll give you this verse. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and I have the Holy Spirit inside of me, then we have the potential through the Spirit of God, not through our human flesh, but through the power of God and the Spirit of God. Do you believe that Jesus is able to deal with a broken heart, to touch a weary spirit? Listen, this is what the Lord showed me from this text. I think this is the message that he wanted the disciples to have. We need a fresh view of Jesus, of who he is, of his power, of his ability, that he wasn't just a babe in Bethlehem, but he was the creator of the universe as well. That he is indeed God, the calmer of the sea, the one in whom everything holds together. You know, we need a bigger view of God, don't we? A bigger view of Jesus, a larger view of him, the power of Christ. No class has ever had such a patient teacher as this class of misfits, common misfits, just like you and I. Let me close with these these lessons that we can only learn in storms. Three of them quickly. Jesus desires not only to impart faith, but to develop faith. Jesus desires not only to give us faith. And listen, it just at salvation, this morning when Kara put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ, listen, that is just the very beginning of a great faith journey. He doesn't desire just to impart faith, but to develop faith. And he wants to take the the mush, so to speak, and make it muscle and make us strong in him. And he often uses the adversities of life and the storms of life and the winds and waves of life to build us, to strengthen us, to build spiritual muscle. To remind us that we need to go to him, that we need to be leaning on him and trusting on him and be in his word and be people of prayer. Because if I've learned anything, it's that the storms of life drive me to those things that I need the most in my spiritual walk. They drive me to prayer. They drive me to the word of God. The second thing that I think it teaches us is that Jesus wants to shatter our competency to develop trust in his sufficiency. He wants to shatter our competency, our ability to develop trust in his sufficiency. One of the things I love about this story is where Jesus teaches them the lesson. Their playground. (laughs) The place they thought they knew everything about. It's kind of like the fishing incident, right? When he takes Peter and them out there and They're fishing, and Peter says, you know, I'm done following Jesus. I'm going back to what I know I can do well. And so he gets in the boat, and he starts trying to do what he thought he could do well, and he forgot that Jesus is also the the God of those fish, and all he has to do is speak to them, and they obey him. So he fished all night, and what happened? Nothing. And so where does he take them for this lesson? Right to their strong spot. Right to where they thought that they were strong. And he shows them, hey guys, without me, ye can do what? Nothing. Nothing. 
And then lastly, and we've already mentioned this, but Jesus does not promise the absence of storms, but he guarantees his presence in the storm. He's trying to teach them through their inadequacy that he is sufficient. He's all that they need. And then let's read the last two verses as we close. Verse 40 and 41 He said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? His power created wonder. And I want to close with this thought. When is the last time that you have been in wonder of Jesus? That you have seen him in his beauty that you have seen him in his power. When is the last time you have fell on your face before God and said, give me a fresh glimpse of you? God the Father, give me a fresh glimpse of, of his holiness. Jesus Christ, God the Son, give me a fresh glimpse of his power and who he is and what he did for me. Give me a fresh glimpse of the Holy Spirit and his power and what he's doing in my life. This fear, this, this awe, this wonder, it's missing in our world today, isn't it? It's missing in the Christian world. We no longer fall at His feet in awe of Him. How great Thou art when we think of who He is and what He has done and that He is our Creator and that the winds and the waves obey His voice. It ought to cause us to fall and to say as Isaiah did, Lord, here am I, send me. Here am I. I'm yours. Whatever you want from me, I'm your servant, God. Thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice that you made on the cross so that I could have eternal salvation. When's the last time we got a fresh glimpse of what Jesus saved us from? That tonight we can lay our heads on our pillow as Jesus did in the boat and we can rest and we can sleep, not because we're trying to work our way to heaven, but because He holds us fast. Because we're secure in Him and His work on Calvary. When's the last time that we have gotten a really fresh glimpse of where we would be without Jesus? Eternally in hell? Have you thought about that lately? And yet Jesus says, will you give up this for me? Will you give up this for me? Oh, Jesus, Spirit of God, I can't give that up. Oh, really? He saved you from hell. He saved you from eternal hell. I'd like for you to do this. I'd like for you to add this to your life. I'd like for you to serve in this ministry. I don't have time for that. Really? He saved us from hell. Not only that, he gave us the Spirit of God to live in us. What a gift. What a gift. He is the Prince of Peace. He will never, he will never change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same before the storm, in the middle of the storm, after the storm. He's calm. <laughs> he is peace. And we can rest in him. And we can allow him to change us. Here's my challenge. We're not going to give a formal invitation tonight. But as you bow your head and close your eyes, 
Why don't you just take a moment and pray to him a prayer of surrender? A prayer, something like this, God, give me a fresh glimpse of you. Give me a fresh glimpse of your power. Give me a fresh glimpse of your holiness. Give me a fresh glimpse of your omnipresence in my life, that wherever I go, you're there. Give us a fresh glimpse of your unending, unconditional love for us. Fresh glimpse, Jesus, of what you went through on the cross for us. Help us to see you in fresh and new ways as the God who never changes, the unchanging God, the immutable God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And help us to rest in you. Help us to surrender our hearts to you. God, take our, our life, take our time, take our money, take our moments, take our family, take our children, use them for your kingdom. Take our future. Take it all. Take it all. It's yours. You've saved us from eternal damnation. You've saved us from eternal hell. You've given us hope in a hopeless world. You've restored our relationship back to God through Jesus' death and his righteousness that's applied to our life. We stand before God today righteous because of Jesus. Thank you. And may our response to that be one of surrender. We love you. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. We pray that as we leave here this evening, Lord, I I don't know what people are going through tonight. I don't know what storms they're facing. But I pray that tonight they would be reminded that you are their father, that you are there with them every moment if they will lean into you, if they will rest in you. And that at best or at worst, that the storms that we face in this life are temporary and then there's eternity with you. God, give us that supernatural ability to trust in you, to take our hands off, not to try to figure everything out, but to rest in you. And so God, I pray that the spirit of God that lives in us will minister to each and every person that is here this evening and where whatever storm that they're facing, the things beyond their control, we, we get really impatient when things get out from underneath our control. God, we realize you bring us to these moments to lean into you and to trust you. And we pray that you will help us to do just that. In Christ's name we pray. And the church said, Amen.